All right, welcome to the week nine review edition of the Sumer Sports Show. I'm Eric Eager. I'm one of the VPs at Sumer Sports. I'm joined by the CEO of Sumer Sports, Thomas Dimitrov. This was a crazy week in the NFL, Thomas. A lot of good games, a lot of games that lived up to their billing, uh, and some that didn't, frankly. Uh, when you watch these games, Thomas, uh, what was your first? Uh, what was your first thought? Well, first of all, sorry for the delay here. You know, there's so much going on in Sumer Sports right now, man. We are jumping from one topic to another. We have a lot going on in a lot of really cool ways. I just wanted to, to kind of voice that to the listeners. We're excited about our direction. Eric, I want everyone to know, like, Eric is kicking legit ass on his approach to everything here. He's helping us make this business something that's going to be special and second to none. So I wanted to lead in on that. And then you think that I've been drinking Red Bull today, and I, I have not, but I but I am flying around because we're, we got a lot going on. And we have our first Monday night football social here at Sumer North. Uh, one day we might open that up as a, as a plan for someone who won it. Uh, uh, maybe want a uh, offering or whatever, and we can invite him to this. And uh, I think it'd be a great time. But to your point about what this, this weekend was, I cannot get over the quarterback situation. I can't get over Atlanta Falcons and Dobbs, Minnesota event. I mean, I don't want to start there, but I'm just saying there are a lot of games that just took me by surprise. And I was like fired up to watch them and amazed at how they all ended up. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, it was it was crazy as as Sean uh, Donahoe says the dobbing. It was a weird because I I got tickets to that game. I uh, you know our colleague Sean Clement, uh, we got tickets to that game months ago. And then you know Kirk Cousins gets hurt. You know the Falcons bench their quarterback, and we're all like, oh, do we really have to go to this game? And then we go. First half not so great. Second half, obviously, there's a lot to talk about. We'll get to that game in a little bit. The first thing I do want to talk about. And it wasn't the, one of the games on our on our show notes, but I do think we have to talk about it because it was compelling. The the Vegas Raiders just kind of opened up a can on the New York Giants in a way that I didn't necessarily see coming. Right, Josh Jacobs had been one of the least efficient runners in all of football. Their franchise tag player, Devontae Adams after about two or three games to start the season where he was worth the billing for them, had been kind of falling off just one catch the week uh, prior on the Monday night football against Detroit. Um, and, and you know, they, they ran Jacobs a lot. They made a lot of plays, not a ton to Adams, not a ton even to Jacoby Myers. Aiden O'Connell kind of played the game kind of straight up, and, and they won with really defense and capitalizing on the mistakes of the New York Giants and the fact, of course, but it, it, the game was kind of already out of reach when Daniel Jones tore his ACL. But that game has so many different tentacles to it, right? You have Antonio Pierce, uh, former New York Giant himself, winning in his first you know go around as the as the head coach for Vegas. You had obviously the Giants who were already missing Tyrod Taylor the, with a rib injury. Probably had Daniel Jones come back and start maybe a week too early. Now Daniel Jones goes down with the injury. And so now New York's reeling. They're, you know, probably, you know, probably going to have a top five pick now. And Vegas is now wondering, you know, now, now we're having similar thoughts about Vegas than maybe we had last year about the Colts and Frank Reich after Jeff Saturday came in and won his first game, ironically, in that same stadium in Las Vegas. What are your emotions like? Because I know you're close. Obviously, you know, you work with McDaniels. When you were in 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 New England, Ziegler uh, is also from the Patriot Way, um, and so there's a little bit of like they're dancing on the graves here. I don't know if that's necessarily fair after just one week. Yeah, I mean, let's keep it in perspective here. I mean, it's obviously the same team. They come out uh, in that game with such emotion, right? You see after the game, you see how they're all smoking cigars, dancing around. It's all over the internet. Even even Mark Davis appears in there. Uh, a little bit of Max Crosby hug, you know, during this whole thing. We're all, we're all buying this idea like, wow, this is amazing. There, you know, there was something that came out. I think it was by Ian Rappaport of all people. Don't get me started there. But Ian had this inside uh, scoop about there being a meeting prior to, to Josh's firing, right? And, and Mick Lombardi's firing and, and uh, uh, Zig's uh, firing, right? That it was, I want to talk about that a little bit because that was on the Thursday before the game. And 
they were basically there was a lot of a lot of outcry that that Josh needed to change his approach to coaching, which is never good, right? It's always complicated. Those are tough to hear. There was all kinds of discussion about that. So they come back, the firing happens, and then all these the players are playing, you know, out of their world, right? They're all playing, you know, called the way it is. They're also playing a Giants team that's that's struggling in a lot yep. of ways. And injured. And you yeah, and injured, and you watch the defense. You know, just back on their heels against, you know, uh, a Las Vegas team that, you know, let's call it the way it is. There's injuries there too, right? It was kind of one of those games, 21 nothing out the gate. I mean, that was strong, right? I, I just was taken aback by that idea. And I was thinking, no one feels sorry for Josh McDaniel. I get it, right? When someone's making $8 million a year or whatever it is, it's tough to feel sorry for people. I get it. But the reality is it's never easy to look at the people that you were bleeding with you know, completely mutinying and, and going against, at least perception wise. So I think Mick Lombardi has got to look at this as well and say, wow, why were they able to, to operate? Why were they able to move around? Is Mick, how does Mick take that? Again, I think Mick is going to be a good football coach in this league and, and not just because of my relationship with his dad. So there's a lot going on there in my mind about former Vegas people and who's there now. I did also see Last thing, I saw comments by Antonio, right, about how proud he was that there was a um, an African-American president, an African-American head coach, mm -hmm. African-American uh, GM. That's a big thing for him and that group to come out and win like that. Um, at least that's what he had mentioned. So there's a lot going on and a lot of emotion going on there. That That's not easy for Mark Davis, in my mind to grasp it all if he's not thinking in any way about moving forward with Antonio, right? He could be thinking about Rich Passaccia. And I don't mean to ramble now, but the Rich Passaccia adds another twist to this. If you want to comment on any of that, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's funny to me, like, look, Josh McDaniels has his past with the, the Denver Broncos where, you know, he was very, you know, they, they drafted Tim Tebow and they had the, um, you know, the trading of Jay Cutler when he wanted Matt Castle. And there were there were a lot of and then just recently. Right. Derek Carr was the franchise quarterback for this team. He had in my like, I'm not a huge fan of Derek Carr as a player. But, you know, the previous year where they went through the John Gruden thing and the Rich Passaccia, I think Derek Carr stood tall and got that team to the playoffs. And then last year, you know, they, they kind of ran him out of town. Two weeks left in the season. They put him on the bench. They don't even want him in the building. There's just so much kind of like difficulties, right, when you're associated with that. But let, let's take a step back for a second, though. Like this is a team now. They won by 24 yesterday. So, you know, th that that's a thing. And they, they've been outscored, you know, a decent amount by their opponents this year. But when I look at like what the Raiders have done, look, they – they played Denver. They outgained Denver. They beat Denver. They outgained them by one yard and beat them by one point. Buffalo is a is a very good football team. There's no shame in getting blown out there. They they played a close game in the Steelers. They outgained the Steelers. Um, they played a close game against the Chargers with O'Connell. Um, they were outgained in that game, but not by a ton. Um, they they beat the Packers. They outgained and beat the Patriots. Uh, both those games at home. The Bears game was a blip, and I and and that's really probably the one Thomas that got McDaniel's you know McDaniel fired ultimately at the end, um, and then they got their butts kicked by a very good Detroit team like I on the road, and they were within two points in the second half of that game. So I think to call you know I think that everybody's looking at this Raiders team as if it was embarrassing when I don't think I mean among teams in the NFL the on field product was far more embarrassing. I think for it, it's not the most embarrassing on-field product that we've seen in the NFL this year. Let's just throw that one out there, right? This is not a team that has been – the record's not great, but it's we're not talking about a team that's 1-8 or a team that's 1-9 and nine and all this stuff. So I think it you know it all comes back to the culture, and I get a little bit – I get a little bit um, uneasy when, like, Mark Davis runs out on the field – and all of these fans for the Raiders are thanking him. Hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. When he's the guy that hired him in the first place, like what did, what did we do here? Like I don't think that you can I just I just have a problem with victory lapping what has happened in in Vegas among people who are partially responsible for it happening, right? You know what I'm saying? So I get worried. I think they put too much blame on one or two people 
and it ends up being something where everybody's like, oh, it's fixed now. And like, to be honest, Thomas, it's not fixed, right? Like there are still like ever lingering problems. Those problems were not caused by two people and they're not going to be fixed by removing two people or three people if you count Nick Lombardi. And so that's where I get worried. And that's where I get, I have an issue with this idea that like, oh, it's all solved now. Oh, we're all just going to play hard now. A, they were playing hard before. They just, you know, they were, they won three of their first eight games, which is not a great record, but it's not an atrocity. And they played a Giants team, Thomas, that is really reeling. <laughs> and they're not like that's a two-win team. And so I just get worried. And and you know, next week they're two and a half point underdogs at home to the Jets, who have their own issues. So I don't think this team is out of the woods. And I get worried about this idea that they've turned it around because they've somehow gotten rid of one or two people. Yeah, I the and and in no way am I calling uh Josh McDaniel the wicked witch, but ding dong, the wicked witch is gone idea. Everyone's partying and jumping around saying, like, we're on our way, we'll let our best abilities come out. To your point, no, this this makes it even more complicated moving forward. Look, where the where the Raiders are now, where Mark Davis is now, they have an amazing stadium, right? Their mm-hmm. their fan base is growing. There's a lot of positives. I know people want to throw darts. They may not like, and I I understand that. There are certain people that don't like styles and personalities of owners, GMs, head coaches, whatever it may be. That aside, there is something to work with in Las Vegas. This is a really, really interesting and important crossroads in my mind for Mark Davis and co. Right. And he's got some really good people around him. Contrary to what people are saying out there that that Mark does not have the right uh, confidants and who are the confidants. I mean, Jim Gray has been public recently that he's he's a major confidant. He has Tom Brady as a confidant, a growing mm-hmm. confidant, as I understand. He's got he's got other people in his circle that I, that I know well, that have a really good understanding and head on their shoulders uh, as far as football. Some of, some of these are former players. That's the way it is, right? Some of them are former executives and coaches that have been in the Raider organization. They're still tied because he has a lot of faith and, and trust and respect in them because they were close with his father at times. So it's not just like some, you know, some out of the, out of the, um, watch what I say here, but it's not like just some of that. It's not like, Mark Davis doesn't have football people in his – he's not just some business guy who got a team and has no idea about football. Yeah, and and, and, that is, and that, that's important to know. And that's important also to realize um, in light of the fact that it, there's an $85 million bill to pay here for, <laughs> for both Josh and Ziegler and Mick and some of the, you know, some of the ancillary pieces that are going to be let go here. Like these are not inexpensive decisions. And, you know, that just means, and again, you know, us at Sumer Sports, that is our, our you know, we're, right. we're very much on the forefront of, of trying to help teams make these decisions. Yep. This is not, I mean, these, you know, this is, you know, it's a great stadium. It's a great uh, fan base. If you've ever been to Vegas, I know you've gone for speaking engagements there as have I like you go into any hotel in, the, in that town and it's like a Raiders reunion, like half the time, like it's a storied franchise, but they're not out of the woods. This isn't the New York Yankees where you can just write off 85 million losses. Like this is a situation where, you know, really sound decision-making when it comes to hiring and how the, those things need to be put into place. And that's exactly where, you know, we are at, you know, with Sumer Sports and and obviously, uh, you know, trying to do the best that we can to help these teams make better decisions because, you know, livelihoods are on the line, players' careers are on the line. There are going to be players who the Raiders have drafted over the past few years that aren't going to get as good of a chance to develop because there's not continuity. And so, you know, this is an important, I think, lesson in, how to build assets in the NFL, assets being players and teams. So, yeah, I mean, I want to stay on this because this is a microcosm of a lot of other things that are going to be happening in this in this league as things move on, right? It just so happens that the first firing was in this situation. I'm going to ask you this big picture, okay? Not necessarily specifically. I don't want to put you on the spot. So we, we, we talk about the positives of a Raider organization we talk about this as anyone who is coming in as a consultant, potentially uh, not, I'm not saying us necessarily. I'm just saying as a third party or someone who's going to be helping Mark make decisions, Mark Davis make decisions on the next head coach or general manager. 
And you think about companies out there that can offer a lot more than just, hey, I like this guy and this guy because they look me in the eyes, they have a heavy voice, and oh, by the way, um, you know they're, they're, they're tough and the players like them. There's so much more out there for companies, organizations to dig into, data-related, right, that could help augment the decision-making process. Yep. Can you expound on that bigger picture of what you would see? Again, not necessarily just Mark, but in general, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as, as an, an analyst. Well, there are ways now. I mean, there we'd be foolish not to use some of the information that's available to us now, whether it be, you know, um, just traditional statistics that we've gotten a lot better at. So we, you know, expected points added, you know, things like how good is a running back as far as yards after contact? How many things are fundamental to a player? If you look and see how those things improve over time and you do some mathematical adjustments for you know, what would be the expected improvement, say, of a first-year player or a second-year player, you can look at how guys develop players. Obviously, and I tweeted this out the other day, um, you can look at decision-making, right? So one of the guys, and, I, and I'm going to laud him. I, I saw the game yesterday. I do think we're going to transition to this. But, like, you take a look at Kevin O'Connell, right? Kevin O'Connell, the former offensive coordinator for the Rams, a lot of people would look at him and say, oh, he's not calling plays. You know, how, how genius could he be, right? That's how they talked about Eric Bieniemy. Well, but you look at what the Rams do, very good at avoiding injuries. Now, that's been funny with the Vikings, but last season the Vikings were very healthy. Very good in-game decision-making. That's something O'Connell took away, like, you know, took from, you know, from different people because, you know, one of the knocks on McVay was, you know, the fourth down stuff wasn't necessarily the best. But you look at O'Connell now and you're like, wow, this guy does really good with kickoff returns, right? This guy does really good with timeout usage. This guy does really good with a lot of the things – Thomas, there's no, there's no um, sort of, it, it's not luck that they had their timeouts at the right time to beat the Falcons yesterday at the end. That's a real, that's, that's, that's football. That's, that's, that's about winning, that's playing winning football. All these things, Thomas, you can measure. How good of decision maker are they? How good are they as, as their team at avoiding injuries? How good are they at avoiding penalties? Minnesota right now is second in the NFL over, I, I think it's, I can't remember exactly, 40 points, I believe. Um in terms of points differential from penalties they've been charged with versus their opponents, meaning you're taking almost a full win of penalties and, and every the first half of the season, that's amazing. Right. And you can go through and be like, okay, this guy was on this staff. He, he was under this guy and he has all these different markers. And then you can say, okay, how, how have coaches with those identifiers in the past, how have they done when they've gotten their, their turn at the plate? Yeah. And, and again, this is, it's all about taking these data points and helping and helping kind of give somebody a, a way so that you don't have to interview a million people to find the right guy. You can whittle it down to six or seven, and then you take the real geniuses of you and people that have been in the league and know how a guy vibes with other people. Uh, you've been around the best. You've been, you know, you've been around uh, people who were maybe not the best, but very good and Dan Quinn and Mike Smith. And now you, and you can sort of paint a better picture. Man, very well said on a lot of levels. And I would also say um, it is imperative that an owner in the National Football League steps back in today's world, given that much data that's available to them. We've said about you know this regarding building teams. I would suggest to any owner, again, respectfully, not as a, a know-it-all in this spec in this scene, but to be able to look at your, your entire organization, roster-wise, development, everything you just mentioned, right? And to get a, a legit, thorough evaluation before you start digging into some of the people that are close to you who have ulterior motives because they want to be this position or that position or because there are motives there, right? That they really, that Mark Davis truly takes a deep breath, puts his best intelligence at the forefront, a lot of experience in around football since the day he was born, right? And say, okay, what is the issue with our team? Let's look at it from a data standpoint and let's look at it from a personnel standpoint. I'm talking about characteristic and all of that. And let's make a very sound judgment that's gonna be a move for posterity and not just a move for the next year, right? There's, again, storied franchise, unbelievable history there. And they're in a, in a city right now that could take it to another level. So I am just saying in the very end, I'll throw it back to you, is if it's approached in a very uh, properly 
uh, appropriately methodical way, not overbearing, in, an, in a smart, intelligent, thoughtful way, I think this organization could, could rise back up to where it needs to be and where it can be. Right. I mean, you're talking about Mark, who's, whose dad, Al, was responsible for a lot of the great advancements in the league, all the stuff that you and I would, you know, laud. You know, you talk about the AFL, you know, onto the, the AFC into the NFL, talk about the Super Bowl. You're talking about Art Shell, the first African-American full-time coach. You're talking about, you know, Vince Evans, one of the you know first African-American quarterbacks that really got like he, there's just been a, an awful lot of like uh, progress that's been made in that Davis family. And the Raiders obviously are one of the, the, the key uh, contributors to a lot of the great things in this league. And it's a sad thing that they've made the playoffs once twice. I'm sorry, since 2002 and haven't won that division since 2002. The league is better when they are better. There's a very good question here from Taylor Vaughn Thaxon, who does a who listens to our show frequently. Does the coach bill affect the cap? Would they be cheap without signing players? Possibly due to it, would Sumer Sports come in and assist? So, this is a great question because this this gets down to the concepts of running an NFL team. Coach and and coaches and GMs they do they are not subject to the salary cap. So you have the salary cap, which is right now two hundred twenty four and a half million dollars. None of, for example, what the Denver Broncos paid Sean Payton is subject to that, right? So if you have an owner who is willing to pay up for a great coach, perfect. The one thing, though, that is that is tricky is that obviously that money comes out of the owner's cash. And cash and cap are two different things. So we always, you know, and I think we're getting a little bit, um, you know, we're getting a little bit uh, more awake to this in our industry. But it does cost. I mean, Mark Davis is not going to be, you know, let's say that there's a player that comes available and he's got a, he wants to sign in, but they don't have the salary cap space. You got to basically run what's called a prorated uh, contract, which is pay them all bonus money up front, prorated out over a bunch of years. That also requires salary cap, Thomas, or uh, sorry, cash, Thomas. And so if you make mistakes with your coaching, hires that doesn't necessarily kill you from a cap perspective but it does kill you from a cash perspective in the sense that those 85 million you can't use to finagle this sort of like accounting system that is the nfl salary cap so the answer is not directly but indirectly it does affect the team's ability uh to spend uh, i do want to send this here the aces are certainly evidence that mark can run a successful franchise the las vegas aces formerly the san antonio stars who are a two-time reigning WNBA champion um, with a very good coach and a very good executive and, and Bill Ambeer and uh, uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking on her name, Becca Hammond uh, oh, yeah. combined. So there is, he's not, a, I mean, like there is Las Vegas can support a winning franchise. And I hope that the Raiders um, can, can eventually get into that realm because uh, like you said, they're a storied franchise. So um, speaking of two storied franchises in Germany yesterday, the Dolphins played the Chiefs in the morning, 930. Um, this was a very interesting game, Thomas, because think about this forever, right? Since, you know, Andy Reid came into the fold, the Chiefs are kind of a defense first team. Then they got Patrick Mahomes, became an offense first team. And they were kind of winning and winning Super Bowls, two of them, despite their defense. And then they come in yesterday and you see Brett Veach, right? The the longtime Andy Reid kind of in Philadelphia scout, Kansas City scout, now general manager. He's built one of the best defenses in the NFL. Nine players on that defense were drafted by Brett Veach relatively, relatively recently. And they held one of the best offenses in the NFL, orchestrated by Mike McDaniel, to 14 points and only like seven of those points were truly a long drive. They gave up a turnover. I watched that game and like, obviously I like the chiefs and I'm, I'm a fan and I, and I, and I, I'm a little clouded there, but I can't help but look at Brett Veach and think of him. Obviously Spagnuolo is a great coach and he did a really good job, but I think of the chiefs as this, this is, this is what team building is. And you couldn't see it any more than the guy that they traded, right? Tyree kill who was starting to get expensive, starting to wear out his welcome trade him to Miami. Miami takes him, builds one of the best offenses in football, and the Chiefs take all five of those draft picks and build a defense that can stop that offense. That was pretty impressive, huh? Uh, look, I, the game was, yes, to, to say, uh, to laud Brett Veach and what they're doing there and how their defense came along 
and played the way they did. Coming into that game, I thought this is going to be an interesting game. It's going to have barn burner elements to it because I love the speed in what you know, uh, you know, Chris and 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 uh, Mike McDaniel has, have done in Miami. I love that. Right, I'm a big believer in athleticism, speed, matchup. However, again, respectfully enough, this also means you have to have a well-rounded element to your team, right? I've been there before. You get caught up sometimes in athleticism and speed. Dan Quinn, when he came over from Seattle, we were so focused on speed in AA and how people couldn't run with us. One of the reasons we got to the Super Bowl in 16 was because of that. People could not run. Even when Bill went in at halftime, you know, I'm sure they were in there going, my God, these guys are running all over us. They came back. Of course, they won the game. My, my point, however, is when I watch Miami, I'm like, okay, this is going to be a game that's going to be a really, really tight game. And my takeaway was from jumpstart, I felt like Kansas City was all up in their stuff, right? And they were, they were, there was nothing there to me that was impressing me about what they were doing in Miami at that point of the game, right? Because it got to 21 points up, right? I was just yeah. amazed. I thought they were dominating the game. They came back, of course, to your point, and, and they started closing the gap. But – I, to me, I left there thinking there's a difference in what these two teams are right now in the AFC. And as much as we like what Miami's doing, we also tend, just like we said earlier about, about the Raiders, people have jumped on this bandwagon. Again, I like Mike McDaniels, but there is no way that people should be comparing Mike McDaniels to Bill Belichick and his overall adeptness. There's just no way at this point in his career Let's keep it in perspective. Manage the expectations. It's a good football team and an evolving football team. But to me, there's a difference in what has occurred, of course, in Kansas City. And to parallel them, to me, it showed that there was not a parallel at this point. Yeah, it's so funny. Like you said, a, you know, and, and obviously when you brought Devondre and Deion Jones and um, Robert Alford and, and you know, uh, DeMonte KZ and like, guys with real athleticism and obviously helped your defense. That was the one part at the very end of the Mike Smith era where it had gotten a little bit slower. And then you guys turbocharged it and obviously made a Super Bowl and, uh, you know, a divisional round game the next year. And I think without the injuries, you probably would have continued to have a great defense. I think with the Chiefs, it's funny because when they took, so in the, in the draft post Tyree kill, they take Trent McDuffie, who's a guy who a lot of people obviously liked, but he had short arms. He was kind of one of those where, you know, if you needed a guy to check all the athletic, the AA boxes, he might not have for some teams, but he fits really well in with Kansas City. George Karloftis, who's the defensive end that plays opposite Chris, uh, opposite Carlos Menehu, was a guy that people didn't like his bend so much. And they didn't think people in Kansas City compared him more to Tom Bahali than Derek Thomas. Right. And like and Derek Thomas, obviously one of the best athletes to ever play the game. Tom Bahali, more of a hustle guy. Right. And you look at this defense and obviously Chris Jones is the best player on the team, but you you have so many players who just complement. Right. And and, it, and it's to your point, it's like maybe guys that other teams may not have had as high, but because of how they fit into that team, it, it makes for a well-rounded group. And there was a really good point here um, by Sean who said, I read somewhere that Veach was adamant about getting a lot of picks for Hill because he did not because there was a chance they were going to trade him to the Jets and they would have gotten like the 10th pick. Um, which would have been a little bit different than what they got, which was more later later round picks as well as a late first because he didn't want any one person. I think about Troy Williamson trying to replace Randy Moss or like stuff like that where you're like, you put too much pressure on a young guy. And it's like, well, this team is like the team in every sense of the word where it used to be about Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. And now it's like Patrick Mahomes is kind of supported by a great defense, which is a very like unique thing uh, over the past few years. So I thought that, Again, Brett Beach gets a lot of, uh, I think, unfair criticism in Kansas City because people say he's inherited a lot. But I got to say, I think the last few drafts have really shown him as a really elevated element of that team, a very uh, a force, uh, you know, for that team's you know sort of championship run. And to your point about the Dolphins, I just think this is a team that hasn't beaten a team with a winning record in over a, in a long time, and so. They just need to, they just, it's a next step, right? Back when Kansas City had Alex Smith, they needed, they were good, but not great. And they needed something to get the next step. And I think every team as a part of their evolution has to have that. Hey, look, I want to, I mean, I've, we've gone on record before about it. Brett Veach is rising star. He's already there. He's not necessarily rising, although he continues to rise. 
And you could argue that he and Howie right now are the top GMs in the, in the country. What, whatever they do, they both have very different situations. Howie Roseman with the Eagles is dealing with something completely different, organizationally speaking, than Brett Veach is. And to, to Brett's credit, man, I just think the way that he, he manages and, and navigates through a very, very strong head coach like, like Andy Reid in his own way, not, not a browbeater, but a really you know co- coach's coach kind of guy. He's, you know, all of that to make a decision organizationally to move on from Hill, who is arguably the MVP of the league right now. What they they held him to 62 yards, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Legit. And, and they forced a fumble that turned into a touchdown from him. Make no mistake about it. I mean, you don't think those guys are on the sideline fired up and they are watching Hill every second. I'm even talking about up in the booth for, for Brett Veach watching every move. Take, you know, keep this guy out of it. This was not an easy move for them, I'm sure, or it might have been easier than we know. It's not like, look, T. Hill, excellent, you know, don't dig up bones. Don't, you know, the, the idea is don't throw rocks and still waters. He had legit character stuff coming out. The Chiefs dealt with it. There's a reason they moved on from him, right? It wasn't just financial. They know how, they know his talent. They didn't make a mistake because they didn't recognize his talent. They made the move because they knew what was best for the organization. And they're still winning and they're still on the top of their game. Moves to a team like this and he's ideal for Miami. Would he have been ideal for, for uh, Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, absolutely not in my mind because some people fit well with coaches and personalities at certain places. Everyone has to understand that. And other people don't. They could be the best talent in the world, but they would fizzle. Just like some of the other receivers out there or some of the other personalities out there that don't fit in the organization. As a GM, it's vital that you look at your coaches, not only your head coach, but your coordinators and your position coaches. You don't want to to, uh, bring a player into your receiver room, DB room, linebacker room that is not, you know, doesn't have the character and the personality that works with that coach or you're doomed for failure. Either you're going to, you're going to fire that coach eventually, or you're going to, you're going to lose out on what can be maximized through that talent. So it is really important for that GM to know his organization. And I think B Veach knows his organization, knows the strength, knows the challenges, knows the personalities. Yeah. And I think what's so cool about that relationship is there is mutual respect between Reed and Veach um, to the point where um, I think that, you know, they're, they're, I don't foresee a situation where, where somebody gets a big head. I think that they me, they mesh together. There were times earlier, like two or three years ago, where I thought that there was a conflict between the coaching staff and the, and the front office on who was playing. And I think that that's been ironed out over the past few years. So I, I'm interested to see, um, you know, sort of what becomes of that um, in the future. I don't foresee anything you know, sort of happening, but um, we, we've taken a decent amount of time here. I don't know if we're going to review that many games. Let's do one more though, Thomas. Okay. Let's talk about your former team, the Atlanta Falcons, hosting the Minnesota Vikings. The Falcons were four point favorites. It moved about five and a half points on the look ahead because Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles. Uh, Jaron Hall came in. The Vikings were without Christian Derrissaw, who was their 2021 first first round pick. Uh, you know, All Pro caliber left tackle. And without Justin Jefferson, their 2021 first-round pick, uh, all-pro caliber wide receiver, and obviously Cousins, who is a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, certainly. Uh, and the Vikings had their season high in points yesterday. Um, Jaron Hall went down. Kirk Cousins – or, sorry, uh, uh, Josh Dobbs comes in and kind of lights the thing up a little bit, especially with his legs. He was able to move around. It was kind of the first mobile quarterback to play for the Vikings – since probably all the way back to maybe like Tavares Jackson or even all the way back to Dante Culpepper, it was a kind of a, an interesting change. The Falcons continue to kind of do things from a personnel standpoint that you've been talking, not, not specifically to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 from a substitution standpoint, I watched that game and I think either Kyle Pitts and Bajan Robinson are hurt or, there's got to be some frustration there with their usage because they're using guys like Algier and Jonu Smith in situations that if I was using a top 10 pick on a position player, I would be using them. And so it was a very frustrating day if you were looking at it from a Falcons perspective and obviously a very uplifting day if you're watching it from a Vikings perspective, looking at that coach, Kevin O'Connell, being able to rally those troops and get a big road win. We have them now, Thomas, at 50%, 48.1 basically, to make the playoffs after that win. 
Wow. I mean, there's so much to talk about here. Uh, I ended up saying I wasn't going to watch the game because I didn't want to get too caught up in it. And of course I did. I watched every bit of it. I, before we get any further, you were just, you were referencing the playoff. I mean, what, what the playoff percentage is in our, in our charts here, right? I'm going mm-hmm. to our charts, by the way, you can bring them up. I'm blown away that Atlanta has dropped down from 46 or eight or whatever, 52 yeah. On that game, we have dropped down to 37% to make the playoffs. Yeah, let, and- let's actually let's share the screen here. Um, a few reasons for that, Thomas, right? Because when you look at the NFL as it's currently constructed, right, you have, um, yeah, the Falcons right now, if you look at playoff probability, the Falcons are all the way down to 37%, a 23.4% chance, I have this highlighted here, to win that division. So there's a couple of reasons, right? There's the fact that New Orleans has has won, although they were only the 12th team in NFL history not to cover the spread um, while having plus five in turnover differential yesterday at home. So they're certainly a flawed football team. Well, that, um, that by the way, that ELO jump and the Saints jump to 78.7, yep. this is a role, like role reversal. Before, just we were talking last week or two weeks ago, like uh, do the Saints make their way back? And like that in a division, remember – a division right now that has its legit challenges, you never know how it's going to be. And I made a categorical comment. The Atlanta Falcons deserve and should be at the top of that division given the talent that they have. And and for some reason, it's just not coming together. Um, it's unfortunate for them. It's still there's plenty of games left, right? So I'm just amazed from a statistical standpoint why the adjustment on this. You can opine on that. It was one of those games for me, and then I'll go back to you on this, that I thought this is their game. They're going to get back on it. They're going to, you know, they're going to have Heine, Heineke, who's going to be pumping his fist every second of the game because that's what he does, right? He's a fiery kid, mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to pull this off. They don't pull it off, unfortunately, versus a guy like Dobbs, who was there two days. Obviously, that, that brings about a lot of eye-rolling in this city, which is unfortunate for Arthur Smith and co. because – Look, they, 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 there are some good things that they do, no question about it. They have some things to tighten up. But here we are right now, which, which I don't know how, how drastic is this drop for them and how much they have to worry about it purely from an analytics standpoint in your mind. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not great. I, I'm, I'm pulling it up now with the strength of schedule. So, by the way, the, these are the teams that have had the easiest schedule so far. The Falcons have, the, have had the fourth easiest slate followed by the, the Saints are the, have had the easiest schedule so far. Seattle and Buffalo, by the way, uh, you should be a little bit nervous because those two teams have lost some games of late, and it just gets harder for them. Buffalo and Seattle, two top five schedules in terms of difficulty. When you look down the stretch, though, the Falcons still have a pretty easy schedule. The The Saints have a second easiest schedule. Um, and, uh, and, and so it, it's, um, it, it's interesting. I, I think that you know, losing to a team like the Vikings is going to ding us in our ratings because they, you know, you're talking about a, a second, well, now a third string quarterback. And then Dobbs is a fourth string guy because Nick Mullins was the second preferred guy. Um, so it, it's just going to hurt. Saints have not been impressive, in my opinion. I'm not trying to editorialize this, but it, it's it's not been that great for them. Anytime that they've had to play somebody other than like Chicago or Tennessee or something like that, they've really fallen on their face. Um, as you can see here, that they're only projected to have 9.9 wins. So, you know, even though they played at one of the easiest schedules in all of football, they're still um, not not going to be a 10-win team in all likelihood. So it, it's it's very interesting. I Ritter versus Carr, Carr is certainly better. I think that the Falcons roster is okay. But it, it here's a question, like, how how good is their roster if they're not going to use the, the the players that they have in in those critical spots? I know London was hurt, and I know Pitts has dealt with injuries, but you know I just don't necessarily know if if I can defend this idea of like featuring Kaderil Hodges as one of your wide receivers when you've used capital on on plenty of players who have you know some some real some real juice. Well, remember, I've said this time and again, and said it before. Reminder to everyone. The people that are making the calls on who is going to be on the field during the game position groupings is normally, normally the position coach. So shame on the position coaches when they're not having the right guys in. This used to drive me bonkers during some of our days when we needed Julio Jones on the field 
and our receiver coach for one re reason or another wasn't putting him in there on third down, right? So you could you could bring this up. It's not just the Falcons. Of course, it's across the, the board. Coordinators don't have time to be to be doing that. They're calling the plays, so they're relying on their coaches to make sure they're 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 putting the right players in at the right time. If you don't have people who are adept at that, then you need to step back and look at it. And you need to realize who is controlling that. That's when a GM, excuse me, a head coach and a coordinator have to really look at their staffs to find out if these guys are utilizing their talent. We can sit there and ultimately throw darts at the head coach for not doing it or coordinators. That's a, yes, ultimately they need to be pressing their people, but it, it can't get away from you, right? And it used to be a, a big source of frustration. And it is for some of my contemporaries in there who are GMs. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of investment, both free agency and the draft, and they're not utilizing their talent. It doesn't mean they're not good coaches, far from that. It means mm -hmm. that there's a bigger picture element that needs to be honed in on, and that's part of running an organization. It's, it's up to the GM and the head coach to be talking about it regularly before they go into games. And, and, and personally, um, this is hypothetical. It's not related to the Falcons or anyone else. If you have a head coach who has his, his partner, whether he has final say or that GM does, there has to be weekly conversation on who's going to be utilized and what percentages in my mind. If you get a head coach who's a heavy on that and he's like, I'm not listening to my GM on this, it can get into some spun out troubles, right? Because all of a sudden he's like, hey, you deal with building the team, uh, GM. You're not going to have anything to do with my game planning. That's wrong. Dan Quinn was really good about listening to ideas about where we were supplying our efforts and our, our player uh, participation. It wasn't always right for us, but it's valid that you do that in those positions. If you don't, you end up tugging away from management and coaching. The owner starts seeing it and the owner start realize, starts to realize like, what in the hell is going on here, gentlemen? It's supposed to be a side-by-side -side partnership. That's imperative. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I think, you know, that that's a, you know, when I look at the other sideline, when I look at Quasi Adafo Menson, I look at Kevin O'Connell, you know, obviously I don't think they agree on everything probably, right? But when you look at that team, that's a team where I think the head coach and the, and the GM respect each other and are working together towards a common goal. And not to say that that's not true in Atlanta, it just doesn't appear that way necessarily uh, from the outside, from my perspective, where I don't know, I don't know anything on the inside, where you take a running back at seventh overall. I got to tell you, Thomas, if I was on a team and they took a running back seventh overall, I I'd be I'd be like you got to use the I mean you got to overuse the guy you're a guy to talk about Adrian Peterson levels of usage right to get a value out of that pick right and I Bajan's that good right I think I think he's, he's that good and so I'm wondering why and it, so there must be an injury and I got to be honest with you this is the last question I'll ask before we wrap up the show but like if he is injured. Does they do? Does Arthur Smith benefit at all from saying so? In the sense of like, well, one of the reasons we're not using him too much is because he's on the injury report with a bad ankle or something like that. Does does there does it benefit anybody to provide cover? Because I do think from the from the perspective of trying to build a team and trying to build an organization. Obviously, if something's up that we don't know about, the players probably know. So maybe there's no one in that locker room, and I have not seen players to the credit of the Falcons they they have not there hasn't been some sort of mutiny or anything so that there must be something going on in, inside that's a little bit more um you know maybe up front but from the perspective of media like you know arthur's gone to the media and said like well i i you know everybody's opinion of desmond ritter is based upon like toxic group think and it's like then you just bench him the next week like i'm not it's not computing in my mind you know so like I, i'm not sure like it, it i'm not sure like what is going on there and and i think that maybe communication could help as far as you know from him to the media or whatever hey look again we've said this time and again arthur smith is a very smart individual i know there's people out there agitated with him when he starts wanting to spin around the group and his answers you know in the in the in the uh, pressers put that aside for a minute that's not his job i mean his main job is coach football which is he is a good football coach Here's what I start thinking now. I start thinking, okay, as an organization, they need to decide what they're doing. By the way, I'll ask you 10 seconds because I want you to let me get back to this thought process. Would you go with Desmond Ritter this upcoming week or would you bring? Would you have Heineke 
maintain. I wouldn't have benched Ritter in the first place. Okay. Because it becomes complicated, but we don't know exactly where the injury was. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, that's what you say. My thought is this. Okay. He's not being paid 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year, right? You don't even know what the future is of Desmond Ritter. Um, you know, if you're asking yourself and your group honestly, is he truly the guy to carry this organization in the next five, six, seven, ten years? No. Well, if they're if they're thinking that's not the case, and Arthur Blank is a very, very, very competitive owner, right? He wants to win. He wants mm-hmm. a fan base to his credit hands down. Do you start running this cat? I mean, get him healthy. What we saw with Dobbs, give that element. I mean, I understand if I'm not normally that person, Eric, I don't want to hurt my quarterback, but if you're, if you're trying to squeak out any game you can, any way you can, and you know that maybe this year in the draft, you're going to be looking to replace because you're going to be looking for a top notch quarterback. My feeling is Think about, I'm not saying you do it, think about how you would interact with uh, creativity with yeah. getting that ball in his hands and letting him get some of those moves because he is a damn good athlete when he gets running the ball. I know oh, you don't sure. his ass. Yeah, and he moves, really, he moves really well. And and I think the off, you know the offensive line is, as you know, as somebody who drafted almost sure. all of them or whatever, is ha, has not the problem whenever they run the read option and stuff. He, that's when they score touchdowns. I mean, or fumble out of the end zone or whatever. Like when they get in scoring positions because of him. You know, Heineke's not a bad athlete, but he's not a plus athlete the way that Desmond Ritter is. I, I agree with you. I think that, especially like, and th- this is maybe bad. You know, and and I don't. I think it's awkward, so I don't want you necessarily to opine on kind of like. I think if you're looking at the schedule strength and you're looking at the rest of the division, there's no Tom Brady in the division anymore. There's no Drew Brees in the division anymore. There's no Cam Newton in the division anymore. This was your, you have to, you, every, everything that you do is either explaining to your ownership how you need another season, in which case, if I, I don't necessarily know if I'd buy it, if I was Arthur blank or you say that we're going out and we're we're making we're we're going to have a home playoff game in this stadium that you built for us a few years ago, and and to your point, everything has to be towards that aim, in my opinion. All right, well, let's move on. Yeah, let's let's just do one last because we are we are at the very end, and I do think Taylor Von Thaxton said, "Wish y'all would talk about C.J. Stroud." I do want to talk about C.J. Stroud for the last couple minutes. Okay, been phenomenal. Right. I think, you know, most most uh, first year quarterbacks, you say they're encouraging. They're not necessarily good. Right. Mac Jones in 2021 was encouraging. I don't think he was a good quarterback, but there was encouraging signs. Trevor Lawrence early on encouraging. Now he's a good quarterback. I think C.J. Stroud has played like a good NFL quarterback. No qualifications. And the the way in which he sits in there, the way in which he has elevated the play of Tank Dell, of Noah Brown, guys that no one's ever heard of. Um, Dalton Schultz was a guy that Dallas couldn't wait to run out of town, and now he's catching touchdown passes. To me, that's a quarterback. Everybody in Houston is turning uh, – Devin Singletary. Everybody in Houston is turning into a household name because of C.J. Stroud, and I couldn't be happier for, obviously, D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario and, and people who kind of – um, you know, took a chance on him despite, you know, some of the, the negative things and everything like he's been tremendous. What have you, what have you seen when you've watched him play? Yeah, no, look, uh, you know, my feelings about him coming out in the draft this year, we won't go into revisionists, but I mean, look, I'm a big believer. I'm not saying uh, that Bryce Young because of his, you know, phenotype is not going to be successful because he obviously has been successful at high levels, you know, in college, you know, CJ Stroud, much more of what, you know, some teams in the NFL might be looking for. There was all that banter back, you know, all that banter. One thing is he's doing a hell of a job. I think he's developing with every, with every game, which was huge for Matt Ryan in his early years, my own experience, right? Every game we brought him along. Back a few weeks ago when the, when the Falcons played, uh, you know, Houston, I was agitated with the conservative approach. And I was thinking they were just happy m- marching down the field, not throwing an interception. I think they're starting to move away from that. I like that a lot. And and I want to laud, laud Bobby Slowick because I was I, I like the Slowick family. I worked with his dad before. Smart football family, smart young guy. I mean, there's people out there talking about 
him having an opportunity to be a head coach. Okay, we get carried away sometimes on that. Is, is it ready? That is it that time? But what he's doing, the biggest thing and the, the the best thing for an organization is to put that new quarterback in the right place. Everyone needs to know. You don't just throw him out to the wolves. You make sure, just like Mike McDaniel's is doing with Tua, put him in the right spot to thrive, right? I know they're, they're different. I get that. But I yep. give it to the, to the coordinator. Put him in the right spot. Call the right plays so he's not getting his ass waylaid and that he's getting the ball out of his hand and being able to use his accuracy and his consistency in what, he, what he's doing. So kudos to Bobby Sloak and how they're approaching it. Yeah, Bobby Sloak, a former uh, colleague of mine at PFF. Uh, I yeah, like I, I I hope for his sake. As somebody who rooted for Mark Tressman Thomas because we had the same alma mater, I'd like for him to find a, a, a maybe a, uh, a. I'd like for him to have a bigger chance to succeed, which would mean don't give him a head coaching job after his yeah. first year as a coordinator. Um, that that's kind of how things end up, but. Um, no, that, that it's been it's been great to see, and obviously this league needs more great quarterbacks um, because so many have retired in the last like four or five years, and a, a lot of the draft picks have been uh, up or down. So uh, that was really fun. This is this has been really fun. We got to talk about a lot of cool stuff. We got to uh, uh, you know I think we're at an all time high for for live listeners as well. So we really appreciate you. If you like what you heard here, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Um, please uh, tell your friends about this show. We go on air every Monday and every Wednesday at about three uh, and uh, talk football. Um, Wednesday show should be great. We have a lot of great topics uh, that I can pick Thomas's brain about. So um, uh, any any parting words, uh, Mr. Dimitrov? No, again, I'm, I'm looking forward to Wednesday talking about some of the magic that you bring to the forefront. I, I The only thing I do want to say is this league right now is, I, I mean, it's, we're all over the place in a lot of different ways, right? I just can't wait to see how this all plays out like everyone. And I love your, I love your, your interest and passion in it. I mean, I've never met someone more involved. I mean, we, we comment here. There's no one else who's texting at 1130 or whenever <laughs> it is anytime. I mean, I don't know how your brain does it. I know I lauded you at the beginning of the, of the, of the show, how, how really, positive and important you are to this organization and even in and and along the lines with this with this podcast man you keep it running so i appreciate it i must be in an overly effusive sort of congratulatory we, we, put, a, we put a little extra in in your coffee i know i told you a joke about uh about uh about that on the on the way and i will not repeat it for for uh for um uh concerns about our youtube channel we have no strikes so far we're not going to get any more strikes uh, so for Thomas Dimitrov, for Eric Eager, this has been the Sumer Sports Show.